austerity budget that either cobbles or coddles the NYPD. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, how do we find you today? Well, we find me in City Limits Global News Headquarters. I'm back in the office uh, for the first ah. time uh, since uh, mid-March. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, I, I feel... I feel almost like I have uh, like I have a job and everything. Uh, right, not that right, you don't. Right. You also you yes. also are very productively employed. But yeah, I haven't. Well, I haven't. Not having left the house in three and a half months. Uh, you know, <laughs> reality has has warped. But no, that's I'm kidding. Uh, I have left the house, but um, no, I haven't. I haven't been back to the office myself. Thankfully, our our journalism work can continue from a variety of settings. Um, and, uh, it's, it's been continuing at all hours, uh, these last few days with the passage late, late last night of the New York city budget, not quite as late as they usually do things in Albany actually. So it was a little bit of an earlier night, but a little bit unusual, uh, for the city the last few years, at least, but a new city budget passed, uh, late last night by the city council, very contentious, basically right at the deadline for the start of the new fiscal year this year. Uh, a contentious budget, a crisis budget, um, given a huge drop in tax revenue due to the COVID crisis and the fallout with the government mandated shutdown of so much of the economy, uh, just a tax revenue base and free fall, mass unemployment, really uh, leading to a very, very challenging budget situation for Mayor de Blasio and the city council. But they came to an agreement. We'll get to some of the details shortly. Um, but that was that's obviously uh, one of, if not the big story of, of the last few days here. Yeah, and we'll be focusing on the budget writ large. As Ben said, it was a very contentious budget that reflected the very tense times we're living in. And we'll be talking specifically about the issue that really dominated the budget discussion, at least over the last three weeks, which is the funding for the NYPD, uh, a $6 billion budget for the nation's largest police force questions even before uh, the George Floyd killing reignited the debate about race and policing in the country, about whether that amount of money is appropriate, uh, whether NYPD should be shielded from cuts. So we're speaking today with Brad Lander, who's a council member for the 39th district in Brooklyn, one of the uh, surprisingly large number of council members who voted no on yesterday's budget. He'll be talking about the policing issue and about the budget as a document and about where we are uh, in fiscal and uh, political contours in New York City. And then also to uh, Ju Hyung Kang, who is the director of Communities United for Police Reform, a really a gathering of a multitude of other police reform and criminal justice reform groups who are pressing for the defunding of the NYPD. She'll be reacting to what did and didn't occur in the budget yesterday and talking also about what happens next now that that document is solidified and this particular phase in that uh, advocacy struggle uh, moves to a different chapter. Yeah, a couple other quick things, uh, you know, to sort of tee up the guests we have in the topics. You know, when we talk to Councilmember Lander about the city budget, you know, the 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 NYPD funding, defunding, shifting of funds became the real focus issue uh, over the last several weeks. But really, as I was indicating before that, there was a huge budget crisis to deal with. So, you know, so much of the focus wound up being on what was happening with the NYPD budget, but really the way they wound up doing things. And most of this, I think, was at the insistence of the mayor. But, um, you know, the, the agreement they wound up coming to is that nothing really related to the NYPD wound up helping them close a many billion dollar gap that they were facing in the budget. So there are real big structural 
budget issues that also had to be dealt with. And we'll, we'll talk to Councilmember Lander a little bit about that. And we should also note part of the reason we're having him on to talk about that is that he wants to be the next city controller, uh, the chief fiscal officer for the city. So obviously he's paying more and more attention to the bigger budget fiscal issues of the city, uh, similar to how we've had on other controller candidates in recent weeks, including State Senator Brian Benjamin, who we talked to a couple weeks ago, and a couple weeks before that, City Council Member Helen Rosenthal. So those are three of the controller candidates in next year's Democratic primary. And so we want to talk bigger budget issues with Councilmember Lander, as well as the specific issue that really resulted in him voting no with some of his colleagues on this budget. And then I'll just quickly say, too, in the second part of the show, when we talk police reform, there's just been a massive amount of change in the last month, both at the state and city level. And while many advocates are disappointed in what happened with the city budget, there's also been a huge amount of progress in terms of their agenda. So when we talk to Ju Hyun Kang of Communities United for United for Police Reform, we want to get her assessment on sort of the big picture, too, in terms of all the the calls they've been making for legislation and change over years, um, seeing a lot of progress on their agenda. Yeah, and this is kind of the moment for uh, guys like Ben and I, real wonks, who come in and after the budget is done and the headlines fade and you see how the policies that relate to those spending lines and those budget cuts and those taxation items, how they actually get uh, implemented the many different questions that go into figuring out uh, you know what the shape of the city looks like after the budget as we we roll out through this year today is the first day of the fiscal year um, we're nearing the unofficial beginning of I guess the unofficial midpoint of summer of July 4th uh, Ben mentioned already the 2021 campaign already uh, underway and we talked about that last week obviously we have the 2020 election still ahead of us many contentious races there both nationally and even some within our city borders. So in terms of some of the big uh, takeaways of the city budget, are there anything from your perspective or things at city limits that you've been most interested in and covering, um, you know, that folks should know about? We're going to be joined by city council member Lander in just a couple minutes to, to get his reaction, have him explain a little bit to listeners who might not have caught the vote or some of the write ups why he voted no on the budget. Uh, but but anything standing out to you, Jared, uh, in particular? Well, obviously, I find the MR. PD discussion, uh, fascinating and, and critically important. I think also the housing uh, budget was something we've obviously given our focus on housing and development. We're, we're very closely interested in uh, the mayor proposing and his executive to shift a lot of capital money from this year, from the year that just ended and the year that is now upon us um, to future years. Uh, pushing back the implementation of his plan, which really is only about half built, his 300,000 unit plan, half built and half preserved at this point. Um, that's a that's a big change. It means a lot of units of housing. That obviously also means a lot of construction jobs. Obviously, his plan is problematic. It's always had a lot of critics. Um, some of that shifting of funds reflects not so much a fiscal decision as a, a reality of what HPD, the city's housing department, thinks it can actually get built next year, and they don't want to schedule money if they don't think they can use it. Obviously, the pandemic has had some impact, even though most affordable housing construction was essential, uh, on the planning and and actually building of that housing. Um, but it's still a big shift, and also other shifts in the housing 
landscape, especially the basement apartment pilot project. A very interesting idea to try to legalize some apartments in New York City was a big part of the East New York rezoning that has been cut to the bone and uh, really pretty much iced in this budget. Um, and there are other light items too. So that's that's one of those things that didn't get many of the headlines and the spotlights, but obviously one of the impacts. How about for you? Yeah, well, let's. Uh, I'll, I'll raise some of my highlights here with Councilmember Lander, who I believe is on the line. So why don't we why don't we dig into it with him? But I think uh, just and of course, uh, I know he he of course is interested in that affordable housing uh, piece as well. Not sure if we'll we'll get a chance to get to him with it, but folks should definitely check out the story you have at City Limits on on that piece because it's things like that that are often really sneak under the radar in the city budget stories and there are things that uh, city limits often pulls out so well that are of so much importance to uh, so many New Yorkers. So I believe we have council member Lander on the line now. Let's bring him on council member Lander. Thanks for joining us again here on Max and Murphy. My pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting. And yes, that basement program is definitely one of the things I'm most disappointed about in this, mm-hmm. in this budget. So indeed, indeed. So, um, Give us uh, the, the sort of big picture uh, before we get into the NYPD piece of it and, you know, the reasons behind your no vote, along with several other uh, council members who sort of from from a similar perspective voted no on the budget. The, the broader strokes of the of the fiscal impact of this budget and the fiscal picture, what do you make of the deal that was struck here? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's worth it is absolutely worth stepping back, you know, and, and it's hard to, re- you know, the before times before the COVID crisis are so hard for like all of us to remember, you know, the city was really uh, sailing along and you could debate had we put enough in reserves, were we doing enough to get our capital projects in order? Or, you know, was the balance right? There are obviously programs like Thrive that, you know, needed to be rebooted. But, you know, the, all of that has changed so dramatically. The the economic crisis in the wake of COVID opens up this $9 billion revenue shortfall that is devastating. And that, whatever your position on defunding the NYPD, whatever your position on short-term or long-term borrowing or the capital program or the basements program, it's devastating. It's devastating. We've got you know, millions of New Yorkers who are getting emergency food because they don't have enough resources to put food on the table. There's unemployment insurance coming from Washington, but it doesn't go to immigrant families. It might just be about to run out. Um, So many people, it's July 1st, who can't pay the rent this month. And, you know, again, you can have a political debate about should it be cancel rent or should it be Washington provides rent relief, but that doesn't help, you know, all those tenants this month who can't pay the rent. So, like, that is devastating, and I don't think we're sitting in it enough. It's, like, such a fast-moving time, and it's like a trauma. It's like, like when you first get hit, you you sometimes are kind of still too stunned to just see how badly damaged you are, and, like, I think we're in a little bit of a space of suspended animation right now, but devastating things are, are happening, and, of course, that hits the city in all the ways because – we want to be able to be doing more, um, and we don't have the resources to do it. And so, in fact, we have to cut when we want to increase. And, like, that's the big picture on this budget. It's devastating because even though there were some good restorations the council was able to make, it cuts uh, billions of dollars uh, from from things we need, from, you know, resources in our schools to emergency food to summer youth programs to capital for affordable housing to our parks and on and on and on. Ultimately, on. ultimately, the cuts were fairly modest because the city's dipping in in a significant way to reserves 
And I guess, I guess I'm wondering if you feel comfortable that, you know, this wound up being a little bit of a, of a, you know, a sort of tinker and band-aid budget when the city is facing these massive out year deficits and there's no clarity on how to really address the sort of foundational fiscal picture for the city. Um, you know, the reserves are now almost gone. So, you know, that'll work for one year, but not really for the following year. Well, a, a couple of things. They're not, I wouldn't say they're almost gone. I, you know, we used, um, not quite, we have a, a but yeah, yeah, look, broadly, um, I mean, I think the challenge is uh, only time will tell. Um, this is a, I mean, this budget uh, works out a solution. It achieves balance without some of the signs of devastation. You know, we didn't have to get to layoffs. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's not devastating. You know, we say no layoffs, but we mean no layoffs of city employees. But we've mm-hmm. made huge cuts in the nonprofit sector to our human services nonprofits who deliver services with our tax dollars that we say we want. And there are definitely layoffs in the nonprofit sector of people who provide human services. So, you know, how do you know when it's devastating? It's great we restored a good chunk of the summer youth jobs, but the kids that don't have them, uh, there's a lot of them out there right now. And so, but yes, I mean, I guess to your point, there's a lot of pain being felt, but this budget restores a a meaningful amount of, of, uh, you know, blocks some harm and maybe skates by um, because of the reserves, um, because the pegs were able to be significant, but not maybe to that level of like cut to the bone, you know, closing your firehouses, laying off your workers. Um, It's fair to say, what will that mean in the future? And the answer is, how could we know yet? Like the difference between a scenario for next year's budget, where Joe Biden is president and Democrats control the Senate, and therefore there's a rational federal government that helps cities and states get through this crisis by deficit spending in the way that the federal government is supposed to. If that's happening, then I think there's a good chance we'll be able to solve next year's budget with a broader range of tools than we had available this year. If that doesn't happen, if we are in an ongoing economic crisis, um, you know, something Trump wins re-election or Democrats don't take the Senate or just the world spins into a greater form of chaos, which just feels like, of course, that could happen. Um, yeah, I mean, then we will not be able to land next year's budget in any kind of more solid or sane way. Is it reasonable to go ahead and do it this way and hold our breath a little bit to see what happens? I guess, and you know, there's even the more middle term that that you guys have talked about on the show, but we didn't talk about yet of just what will happen if there's no federal aid, even before November, if there's no federal aid, if the state makes additional cuts and the city is then faced with the challenge of, um, you know, uh, layoffs versus short-term borrowing. So all those things are in the future and it's a little soon to say on the basic fiscal issues, I guess I think, although I voted against the budget for reasons we'll talk about, that the balance of dipping you know, meaningfully into reserves, doing um, a set of hard pegs, um, was the right notional approach. If we had cut a billion dollars from the NYPD, then we would have been able to stave off some of the additional pain and harm, and it would have been possible for me to vote for a budget that 
you know, still had a lot of the features of this one, but but took a different set of steps forward. So, Councilman, this was not going to be a fun budget, no matter what, just given the fiscal sure. context. But I'm curious about the process. I mean, obviously, this is the latest, I think, any de Blasio budget has come. It's the latest any that I remember has, has come. Uh, was the mayor an honest broker uh, or an honest member of those negotiating sessions? Did Speaker Johnson allow other council members the seat that they need and council leaders the seat they, seat they need at the table? How would you, give, given the disagreements over policy, if we can set them aside for a second, in terms of the conduct of this process, how would you evaluate the mayor and the speaker? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because I think two contradictory things are true that are always true. This is not different about this year's budget. You know, um, on the one hand, New York City's budget process provides a lot of opportunity for people to speak up publicly and engage. I mean, having a preliminary budget, a set of preliminary budget hearings, a council response, an executive budget, an executive budget set of budget hearings, um, and then the council goes into this deliberative phase, which is mostly the budget negotiating team, which I'm, I'm not a member of, but people are finding out what's happening and, and, and weighing in. Now, it was all virtual this year. Um, and that was a shame, but I don't know. I still, some of the, I met some amazing people who I then subsequently got to meet in person who testified virtually at our budget hearing. This young woman, Meryl Masoom, is one of my favorite young, fierce activists of the moment. I never knew her before. You know, you're kind of half listening on those eight hour budget things. And I like woke up when she started testifying about making sure we were putting resources in the schools and, and not into the police. And now I've had the chance to meet her in person. And, um, so there's a lot of inclusion, and and that more than almost any other city or state I've ever seen, ten times more than is at the state level, and all of that is good. Now, on the downside, the power that the mayor has in the city's budget process makes kabuki theater out of the whole thing, and that's just real. The mayor puts an executive budget out. Everyone fears that the one time the council did its own thing, the council had a weekend in court, it weakens the council's um, leverage in the whole process and mayors can just sit and say no. And, you know, I think as you heard the speaker say last night, there were a lot of things that he wanted um, that weren't honestly brokered. They didn't meet in the middle. The mayor just said no, 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 no. And so, you know, I think, you know, I, I did not, I don't support the budget we got to. I think we should have taken a different approach. I think it will be necessary for the council either to try again at some point passing its own budget and seeing if it can be possible to have a better hand in court or making some amendments to the charter because at present the council's structural leverage is so weak in the process that it's hard for it to be real. And I do think that's what played out here. Um, I think Corey really wanted to get there on NYPD cuts, but the mayor kind of called the bluff of the council's leverage they had built in some plans to make a set of restorations. The council fought hard to get those restorations. Um, and I think that makes the process confusing for people because it seems like the council has a lot of power. And so people treat us. We, we, the mayor doesn't give anyone an opportunity to give feedback on the budget. There's no mayoral sessions of feedback. The council does all the feedback work. People put their trust in us to hear it. And at least as it currently plays out, we play it with a with a pretty weak hand. 
So we're talking with council member Brad Lander. If you want to weigh in with a question, a quick question for him or our second guest, please call 212-209-2877. Council member, speaking of kind of the separation of powers issues, there's an interesting argument playing out now, which is that public advocate Jumani Williams says that under the charter, he has the authority or his signature is required on the warrants that allow the city to collect property taxes on which, of course, the whole budget hinges. And he says that if he doesn't uh, provide those signatures, the city does not have that authority and that he is going to withhold those signatures based on his opposition, like yours, to the budget that was passed. Do you think that the public advocate is on firm legal ground there as a potential future comptroller of the city? Is, Is he right? Well, let me answer. I like what he's doing. I don't. I honestly have not had the time to look into the legal questions about the public advocate's power in this regard. You know, we I was up till two in the morning voting on the budget last night, and um, so I, I think I'm going to let the lawyers adjudicate the question: Is he right in this power? And obviously, that's an extremely important power. And yes, I'm running for controller, and controller, unlike public advocate has a primary responsibility of fiscal stewardship for the city's um, uh, you know, uh, the, the tax revenue collection and bonds and ability to pay its debt. So the comptroller is supposed to look at these questions differently from the public advocate. I love that he looked at it with the question of, I believe we are in a time of fundamental reckoning with systemic racism in policing and that we are not waking up enough to what's required to do something about that. And that it's almost like he brought the tools of disruptive, nonviolent civil disobedience into the public advocate's office and said, what is like a nonviolent disruptive action that says, no, we're not going to do business as usual without waking up to what the moment requires here. So um, I think it's great. The two things he put on the table um, are very concrete and very reasonable, right? A hiring freeze at the NYPD, you know, it's worth noting that he did not say in that thing it has to be a billion dollars. He said hiring freeze, which is what we're doing everywhere else, and a just transition framework for moving some functions in a serious and thoughtful way. And those are, are pretty low bar. They're reasonable things that did not get moved. Or, and to use yeah. this disruptive power, um, I mean, I think it's the public advocate saying, my job is to advocate where I see a real fundamental inequity issue. And we just walk through so many days where we let the realities of that the system, when we say systemic racism, what we mean is if the system keeps operating as normal, it'll keep re-implementing racism every day. And here was a way of saying, I'm going to disrupt that. So I I think it's great. I I don't know whether he has the power or not. Well, I mean, weren't those couple of things really part of the discussion for quite a while and things that the council should have really been pushing on? I mean, the the public advocate. Yeah, I mean, to to sort of make this threat the day of the budget when the city council had already made a deal with the mayor seemed a a little strange uh, to me. And I'm not sure about the... You know, I mean, obviously I like it can be adjudicated if he tries to, to do it, but... Whether, for, look, the court is going to adjudicate whether he has the power. Um, and again, I, I'm happy to come back after. I've had time to talk to lawyers <laughs> and, and opine on whether I think he has the power. Um, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question of a controller candidate. I think it's reasonable for me to say, given that the last 24 hours I've been in, in the budget, that I don't, I don't know you'll, yet. You'll get back to us. But, but what I would say is the idea that that Jumani feels 
that um, the, the way we're currently going on policing must be disrupted and that the fact that the mayor was able to kind of force through an agreement that even the speaker says he did not really want. You know, the speaker says, I know this didn't meet the moment. We must do more. I didn't have a strong enough hand in the budget negotiations, uh, you know, and, um, for Jumani to say, you know what? I found a different piece of leverage, and I'm not okay with just business as usual on policing, and I'm going to use this, this tool in a disruptive fashion to insist on something better. Um, again, we're going to come back yeah, to the legal I mean, question the whether he does or doesn't the... have the power. And if you told me we were going to like default on our uh, on some loans as a result and risk our bond rating, then I would have a different answer. But so far, it does not look like that. It looks to me, and I guess this is what I would say, is it looks to me like the risk of our doing too little to reckon with the systemic racism in policing is much greater than the risk that we will uh, jeopardize the soundness of our city's economic or fiscal health or safety. All right. There, there, there's, there's a lot we could continue on there. But since we have only three more minutes with you, we really want to obviously get to your rationale on the NYPD budget piece of the larger city budget. Great. Um, so, so, so give us your, your overview of why it fell short of your commitment and, and led you to vote no. Yeah, super. Thank you. Um, you know, look, a after the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, this very powerful movement, you know, led by black leaders, but diverse and intergenerational, um, has taken to the streets in a way that really seems to see much more clearly than in the past that that, you know, r racism in policing is systemic. Um, it goes much beyond policing for sure, but, um, but focused at the moment on policing and that we're not going to be able to solve that at the margins, but that we really have to reckon with the fact that we do way too much. We try to solve every public safety problem with police, whether it's uh, mental distress or domestic violence or homelessness or reckless driving or school safety, uh, or on and on. And that the consequence of that expanding of the force, some great new data came out from the Vera Institute showing we have in New York City many more police officers per person than any of our peer cities. You know, we have one NYPD officer for every 162 people, L.A. one for every 308, Houston one for every 360. So we're spending 50 or 60 percent more uh, on policing in New York City than our peer cities. So it's both a fiscal issue because when you have a budget crisis, you can't be spending on schools or summer youth or social services because you're spending so much on policing. And it becomes a public safety and racial justice issue because instead of being creative in how to help people out of a situation of domestic violence or help them with emergency mental health, we send cops with guns and, and handcuffs and, and the results ensue. So um, that's going to be a long-term process of change. And I love what our colleagues in Minneapolis are doing to, uh, you know, they are amending their charter to replace the police department with a Department of Community Safety and Violence Prevention, which will have some policing in it, but will try to reinvent how they achieve public safety um, with community safety at its core and policing at the margins instead of policing at the core and everything else at the margins, we have to get there. But the way to take the first step 
was to rise to the moment to put a hiring freeze in place and to make a meaningful cut to the NYPD, and this budget just did not do it. Well, a lot to unpack there, um, but unfortunately, um, you know, we only have so much time, so we appreciate um, appreciate. I'm happy to around with Juhyun. You know, Juhyun is one of my one of my yes. main allies on this set of. Yes, issues. we will we will continue that that part of the conversation with her for sure. And you know, there's a lot to unpack there in terms of you know holding up the what well, we don't fully know what the Minneapolis model will really look like, but you know, the idea of sort of. Um, a semi, I guess you can't sem- you can't half abolish anything, but you know the conversation around abolishing a police department, which um, looks like not not exactly what they're doing, but they're taking correct. Some I don't I don't think they're they're not abolishing yeah. their police department. Right. They're replacing it with a, a department that doesn't have policing at its core, has some of it, um, but in a much more limited capacity. And yes, they're just right, well, started, so we will talk with you yet. more soon down the line, Councilmember Brad Lander. Thanks so much for for joining us here, and uh, and we'll talk with you. I really appreciate the invitation all and right. all your guys' work. Thank you. Take care.